So how could you tell if you really wanted to find out somebody's main priorities in their life? You know, what drives them? What's their passion, priority? You could look at their uh, bank statement and see what they spend money on. That might give you some clues. You could look at somebody's calendar and see how they spend the bulk of their time. That might show a bit of that. But what about this? What, if, what can you tell about someone from the prayers that they pray? The famous pastor and New Testament scholar John Stott, he said this, quote, One of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of his prayers and the intensity with which he prays them. We all pray about what concerns us and, and are evidently not concerned about the matters we do not include in our prayers. Prayer expresses desire. Does that make sense? You know, the things that are important in your life, the things you're passionate about, will probably be things that you are praying about or towards, and other things maybe not so much. This is certainly true of, of this prayer that was just read for us. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this young church in Ephesus, and he said, this is, what I, this is my prayer for you. And we see his heart and his passion, his priority in this prayer. What about you? What are the things that consume your prayers? What do you pray about? What do your prayers reveal about you? What do you pray for? How do you pray? Do you pray? Two weeks ago, um, we looking at this passage of Scripture, the first half of Ephesians chapter 3. And so we were supp actually supposed to preach this passage following that one. They go in order. Um, so I got sick. I got the COVID thing. And I uh, had to do all the isolation stuff, and I've done that. And I feel great, 100% um, recovered here. So, and thank you, Pastor Dan, and for musicians, and um, there was others who were sick. And anyway, so thank you for everybody who stepped in. But anyway, if you can remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, this verse, Ephesians 3.12, in him, so it's in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Our prayer is such a gift that we can just approach God so freely and so confidently that he hears our prayer, that he wants to hear our prayer. Uh, it's just a beautiful gift, and prayer is just so fundamental to our faith. And so through faith we can approach God, and God is pleased when we approach him and, and share our hearts with him. And yes, as we pray, it does reveal what is a priority in our hearts. So I want to analyze this prayer and reflect on it as beautiful prayer. Of all the prayers in the Bible, this one is probably uh, my favorite or certainly one of my favorites. So we're going we're gonna to take a look. The way we'll break this down, a little outline, is uh, the foundation of the prayer, the prayer itself, and then the goal of the prayer. And we're going to look at those three things for note takers. That, that'll be your little guide. Um, let us pray as we begin. So Father, I pray that as we consider what prayer is and what um, is at the center of, of this particular prayer, Lord. I pray in some way, by your grace and by the presence of your spirit, that you would in some way help us to know you more, to help us to grasp in a new way or in a deeper way uh, your grace and your love and who we are in light of what you've done, Lord. May it be and we pray it to you confidently that you are a loving Heavenly Father who hears and responds to our prayer. 
We do pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. The foundation of the prayer. The foundation is the Father. So verse 14. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. For this reason. For what reason? Well, it's for all the things that he's already said in this letter. So basically, as uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to these Christians in Ephesus, he says, he's reminding them that God, by God's grace, we're no longer separated from God in sin, but that God, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, has brought us back to him, that it's his grace that saves us, and that his grace connects us back to God, but also connects us to all people of faith. And specifically talks about Jews and Gentiles without distinction that God now has this one family under God and he has provided everything. It's all because of what he has done. So, verse 14 again, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's saying there's one God and Father, and we are all his family together. And this is the foundation of his prayer. This is the beginning of his prayer. The foundation is the Father. It's the foundation of the prayer, but it's the foundation of everything is what God has done. The foundation of the Father. Our church has a, a purpose statement. If you've been on our website or if you've been through our discovery course, you probably have seen this. But we've, and this has been, this statement is, is, uh, has been around for a long time. It predates my time here at the church for sure. It says that the purpose of Free Christian Church is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ in a community of Christian love. This is the relationship we're talking about. That we can, because of what God has done, we can be connected vitally to God and connected vitally to one another to live as a community for him. This is what we're talking about. That's the same foundation. Our ministry as a church, as a group of people, is not about what we can accomplish together but to bear witness to what God has already accomplished. What God accomplished in, in saving a world broken by sin. At the center of that, Jesus' work on the cross. It's all about his grace, which allows us to do good, which, which pushes us to do good things. But again, in the, earlier in this letter, the, this church was reminded in chapter 2, he said, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God. It's not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's, it's God's grace, it's God's work that starts everything, it's, that he's the foundation and that motivates us to live life. Um, that's the big difference between our faith and every other religious system in the world. Most religion in, this, in our world, all the different faith systems, most of it operates on a religious principle that I do the right thing and therefore God accepts me. Our faith in Jesus Christ is rooted in the reality that God accepts me by his grace and therefore I can do good things. Therefore I can aim to live for him and please him. Religion says, um, it, it says I'm going to live a certain way to get things from God our faith says, I've received everything freely from God, and therefore I can, I can live in a certain way that will delight the God who has blessed me, that will resemble the God who loves me and has called me to be part of his family. The foundation is God's work. The foundation is the Father. It's the foundation of this prayer. It's the foundation of our church. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our lives. 
that God has saved us and rescued us and brought us into his family. So that's the foundation of the prayer. Now the prayer itself, the prayer is a prayer for power. And I'm just going to read you this beautiful prayer, verses 16 through 19. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying, I want you to have power when I pray for you. I want God to give you power by his spirit. I want him to give you power that you might know that and experience Christ in your life. And when you experience Christ in his love, I pray that you have power to know how vast that love is, how grand and, and great and beyond understanding. Verse 19, it's, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. You can't, I could try to explain it to you, but the Bible says I can't fully explain it. It's something that has to be experienced, and it can be experienced in growing ways. So how do you explain something that's inexplicable? Um, well, I can tell you how other people have tried to do it. So I don't know if you, met, if, if you were here a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we haven't preached through the book of Ephesians in 11 years as a church. It's a long time. But we have preached this passage of this part of Ephesians uh, four times. So the first one, 11 years ago, there was a young pastor in his 20s. His name is Brian Long. Some of you have been around a long time. You would know Pastor Brian. So Pastor Brian's trying to explain how profound God's love is, and he gets a whiteboard, and he put it right here. He's preaching from this pulpit. And he said, he said this. i got to look at the notes. He said, the dimension of an object is defined by the number of points of connection to that object. He said, so a dot is just a point. And he put a little dot on his whiteboard. And he said, it's a very simple, has a, no other point of connection, just one. He said, but a line has two points of connection. It's more complex, but it's one-dimensional. And then he drew a, a square. He said, but a square is, is two-dimensional, and there's four points of connection. And then he kept going. He drew a cube, three-dimensional Cube, And he said these are much more, obviously the cube is more complex than a line. The more dimension adds complexity. And he said we serve a four-dimensional God who is wide and long and high and deep. And it's, it's four dimensions. And that's how amazing God's love is. It's the, the, in that we can be, um, this God is bigger and more profound than we can imagine. And we can be filled with all the fullness of this God. And it's, this is a God who can do so much more than you could ever even ask. This God can do more than you can imagine. And, uh, and that's how Pastor, young Pastor Brian explained that by, with a drawing. He drew a cube and it was pretty good, I guess. I wasn't here that day because he was, I saw the video, but it was, anyway. Um, a lot of you didn't know him, but he's still doing ministry. He's pastoring. He's on the pastoral staff of a church in the Buffalo, New York area, and he's active in our denomination, and I run into him, and he's doing great, and he's got three kids, and he's awesome. Um, okay, so that was 20, uh, 2011. So a couple years later, the, another pastor preaching the same passage of Scripture, his name was Pastor David Midwood. Some of you knew him. His portrait is hanging out in the rotunda. rotunda. I can show you that after. 
But he said this. He said, in verse 19, when it says that you might be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, he said, do you know what that means? He said, it means you can have as much of God as you want. All the fullness of God. You know, not our fullness. And, and Pastor David was a man who was just so aware of this, so full of uh, just growing in the fullness of God that the Holy Spirit was just spilling out from him around to all the people he interacted with. And he was only with us for a couple of years, but what a huge impact he had on all of us uh, teaching us about this and encouraging us to, to experience the fullness of God. You can have as much of God as you want, he kept saying. It's endless. And um, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I going to the restaurant. I'd always love it when the restaurant had kid menu because I could, you know, you can color on it, and it was kid food, and it was always just right. And some restaurants didn't have a kid menu. I didn't like going to those restaurants. But as I got older, I got to eat, you know, off the real menu, and I enjoyed that. And I remember the day that I was, uh, I was at a, out to eat with my dad, and he ordered a fisherman's platter, like a big fried fish platter. And I said, I wanted my own fisherman's platter. And I ate the whole thing before my dad. My dad was six feet five, he was about 270 pounds. And I realized that I had an appetite as big as my dad. I was probably 14 or 15. I thought that was the coolest thing. It's like, I can eat so much food. And there's, it reminds me of this passage where it's just there's, this, there's a fullness. You could feel full, but it's not your fullness. It's the fullness of God. To, to be filled with, to the measure of all the fullness of God, that means there's, there's, as full as you feel, there's a whole nother meal beyond what you ordered that's available to you. And Pastor Mid would always want us to remember that, to know that. He went home to be with Jesus in the fall of 2014, and we still miss him a lot. Fast forward to the spring of 2015. There's another pastor here. His name also is Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian Page. Uh, he came, he showed up in the spring of 15. And uh, he, he was, he said, you could preach. There was a Sunday. I'm like, preach whatever text you want. He said, I want to preach Ephesians chapter 3. I'm like, great. We love that passage. Midwood loved that passage. Everybody loves the passage. So he's preaching this passage. And he said, he said look, we're New Englanders. When we, when we start talking about experiencing God, it can be a little weird. It's weird. You're very reserved people talk about having a profound experience of God. It's a little weird. He said, but it's one thing to know about God, and it's another thing to experience it. And he said, so many people say they believe in God, but it doesn't actually transform or change them. So you come to church, and you sing the songs, and you say you believe in God, and you leave here, and you go to work, you're still a jerk. You know, you're still the same person. It's not a deep, transforming thing. What he said is, he said, whatever human needs, what you and I need is for the love of God to blast through deep down into the depth of the soul. And he was a man who was just just a few years before that, severely addicted to drugs, was totally strung out and nearly died, came to find faith in Jesus Christ and recovery from his addiction. 
through a, a Christian recovery program, devoted his life to sharing the good news of Jesus and helping other people find recovery, to he, training as a pastor, to preaching God's word from this pulpit. He left here and went to go plant a brand new church up in Kennebunk, Maine, and they are still going strong to this day, preaching the gospel, and the church is growing and it is vibrant. I ran into him last month at a uh, ordination service for another friend of ours, uh, for Hobby, who's pastoring in Lawrence, and um, I got to catch up with him and see him, and it was just beautiful to see God's continued transforming work. But that is a life that is genuinely transformed. And he said, when you experience God deep down, it will transform you. That's how he looked at this. So the question is, okay, JP, what about you? you know, what do you think of this passage? I say, when I read these words, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For me, this is the joy of seeing other people experience it. That you might know the presence of God in your life, that you might truly grasp in increasing ways more and more how much you are loved by the God of the universe, how much he is with you, how much he empowers you. You know, I, so it wasn't the easiest couple, last couple weeks being sick. We had vacation planned. My family left on vacation because I had the disease and I had to isolate. So they went away without me. And I'm isolating. And so, of course, I could isolate in my you know, bedroom here in Andover. But if I'm going to be away from people, which is actually sometimes I enjoy that too. But if I'm going to be away from people, I want to just be out in the woods. So I grab my tent, my fishing pole, my Bible, and a little bit of food. And really in life, that's kind of all you need. A tent, a fishing pole, your Bible, and food if you don't catch your own food, which I didn't. The, so I went out way out into the woods to do my isolation out, out there. But it was lonely. And I was getting a little sad, and I was feeling kind of nostalgic too, and I'm thinking about a lot of stuff. And, and I was thinking about Pastor Midwood, actually, because the tent that I used, he gave me. So he, he was a thrift shop shopper, and he found this tent in a thrift shop. He bought it for his grandkids to play in. It was missing a tent pole. He said, do you want it? I said, of course I want it. I found a tent pole. Beautiful North Face tent. This little solo tent. I'll have it for years. But I'm thinking about Midwood, and he gave me this tent. I was thinking about my dad, who died last year, and he, he had a little camping stove that the man bought when he couldn't even walk. But he bought camping gear. I don't know why. But I got all his stuff. And so I'm thinking of my dad using a little camp stove. Thinking about Midwood. and thinking about my family on vacation without me. And then I was thinking, you know, I missed church last week. It's just low. So when I got back, Fernando asked me, he said, what did God, what did God say to you when you were out there alone, in your, all your alone time, you know, reading the Bible? And I said, you know what happened? In that really low moment, God just said, pray for other people. Don't worry about your own whatever sad, nostalgic, just pray for people. So I did just started praying for you. Praying that you would experience God, that you would know his presence and power. 
praying for pastor friends who are preaching the gospel, praying for people who are struggling deeply, praying for people who are grieving. Just pray for other people. Get your eyes off yourself and just start praying for everyone else. And for me, when I see this, this is the most beautiful prayer you could pray for anybody. Pray it for yourself, but pray it for your children. Pray it for people who you know who don't know the Lord. Pray that they would in some way know that God loves them, that they can be vitally connected to God through faith, and that they could grasp how wide and deep and profound that love is. That's, my, that's what this prayer does for me. What's the goal of this prayer, though? So it, the goal is, is God's glory. The goal is God's glory. This doesn't end with our experience. It's not about us. The foundation is, is the Father, his work. The prayer is for power to experience it, to understand it, comprehend it in some way. But the goal is God's glory. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. To God be the glory. Because of what God has done to connect us to himself. Because of that the, the, what God has done, this God would otherwise be unknowable, but the sovereign creator of all the world cares about you and you can know him, and you can have a truly transforming experience of God. And the result of this is that God is pleased. It brings him joy. It brings him glory. And he said, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So the way that Jesus brought glory to God the Father is the way that we are to glorify God the Father. Jesus was obsessed with the glory of the Father. You know, Jesus came to... uh, to save, seek and save the lost. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Jesus came to serve others. But he, and he said, I've come that people might have life. But the ultimate goal of all those things was God's glory. Jesus said in John 17, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And he said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you've given me to do. Jesus is just obsessed with the glory of God, including going all the way to the cross to bring glory to God the Father. We, the church, God's people, also, our desire is to please God, to give glory to God. So the conclusion of this prayer is actually the conclusion of our, our, kind of our church purpose statement, which I showed you earlier, but look at that again. So it's not just about inviting people to a relationship with Christ in this community of love, you know, developing maturity, mobilizing to serve the church and the world. This is in order to glorify God. The reason we do all that we do is that it, it, it makes God look good. It gives him the glory that he deserves. It's all for the glory of God. And that's this beautiful prayer. Okay, so that's, that's great, but what about tomorrow? You know, what difference does this make? If, if, the, if our foundation is the Father, if the prayer is for the power to just grasp all of who he is, he's glorified in that. What difference does it make? Let me just give you one thing. Because the issue with this is that we're to be obsessed with God's glory, but when we walk out of here, do you know often what we're obsessed with? We're obsessed with our own glory, 
We're obsessed with our own self, our own successes, our own failures, our own priorities, our own thing, not the glory of the Father. It's easy to just fall back into that. But what happens is, depending on where your focus is on your own glory or God's glory, you're going to respond to the world very differently. So one thing, for example, if this week you are criticized, if you're criticized this week, that means you've failed in one way or another. You either did something that was worthy of criticism, or you weren't able to keep a critical person happy enough to not criticize you. So you, somehow you failed. You get criticized. If you remember, or as we are criticized, remember, when Jesus was going to the cross, he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. That Jesus' glory came through suffering on the cross. Or his bringing glory to the Father came through his own suffering. That we can live life to glorify God that, that may not look like grand success. It, that God has... Um, plans and purposes which are better than we could have even planned ourselves. So we get criticized, but if my glory is in myself, then I'm, I'm devastated by that. I'm furious about it because I need to always be justifying myself. I always need to, you know, my, my existence, my work, my parenting, or whatever's being criticized, you know, I have to justify myself so that my life means something. When there's threats to my self-image, you know, through criticism or however it comes, it's, it hurts a lot. But if I walk out of here and God's glory is my goal, then when I'm criticized, you know, I still struggle with that, but I don't have to always be justifying myself for my work or my parenting or all these things. My identity, because my identity is not built on what I succeed, but it, the foundation is the work of the Father, what God has done for me that I'm loved and accepted as his child. That's my primary identity. It's not about my performance, but it's based on God's love for me. So I can take that criticism. I can admit that I fall short. So that's how I became a Christian in the first place. I admitted that I needed a savior, and I have a savior named Jesus. I just want us to be a people who know with all of our hearts that the God of the universe loves you, he accepts you as his child. That you don't need to rest in your own glory, what other people think of you, but what your loving Heavenly Father thinks of you. May God give you the strength by his spirit um, to know that, that you might truly know the love of Christ. That you might experience something of the fullness of God. And may he receive the glory now and forever. Let us pray. Father, may this be, may we be a people who go from this place experiencing you, growing in our knowledge of, of your love, that we would experience it and that it would transform us. And, and Lord, that it would lead to a way of life that glorifies you. Be glorified in your church, in us, your people, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.